common grace from Matthew 5, 44 to 45 by Paul Bucknell. This was first delivered in Oakland International Fellowship in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Part of a series, Grace So Glorious. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. We've been going through a series, Grace So Glorious, and it's a wonderful time for us to remember what grace is and the power God means to invigorate our lives with. It is God who has extended himself in such a great and marvelous way that reaches deep into our lives. Today our topic is unrecognized grace from Matthew 5, 44 to 45. A smaller passage, but still so full of teaching that will, I, I believe, enrich your lives. So even if it's only half of how God's used it in my life, I think it would be a great blessing for you. Let's pray as we continue. Lord, we thank you so much for your marvelous love and care for us. It is just so wonderful, Lord, to be able to know that God loves us. We need that love, Lord. We pray that we could hear that today, not only through your word, but as we step out into the streets, walk through the woods, meet up with a friend, we pray that you would teach us, bless us, and keep us. In Christ we pray. Amen. At the end of my trip in Kenya, there were some marvelous rocks nearby, as you see there. People go many miles just to see this as one of the big things in Kenya, but it just happened to be one mile down the road from where we were having a great seminar. And so we went that day. There was a gate there we went through and pay a little money and, and then just start, and someone tour, takes you a tour through. A family used to live there uh, in the rocks themselves. You see, the Lord is uh, good. And, and that, that's one of the common sayings when you go through Africa. They always tell you the Lord is good. And it's only part of it, though. You know, just as we began to reach those rocks, all of a sudden a big storm came over. And so we went under the rocks and hid there in a cave. We were about there 15 minutes. And the water was dripping down. There was a canal going through our feet there. And we said, well, this doesn't look like it's going to end at all. And so we said, we better go back to the vehicle, which meant we had to walk through the rain. And we were just totally soaked. Of course, we were just dressed for speaking, and you know, I had suit on and everything like this. And we were—I I turned one corner around the cliff, those rocks, right through, you know, two huge stones, and walked there. And the wind came blasting through, you know, so the rain was coming like 90 degrees right at you. Every part of you were wet. But you know, when they say that the Lord is good, they—they they want you to say the Lord is good all the time, and so. Even when we were walking there, because they had a famine, a drought, just a year before in that very spot. So they, they determined in their hearts never to complain about the rain. Because they know how good the rain is. And so, uh, you know, they would just say, Lord, it's good all the time. And, you know, just soaking wet and dripping and things like this. They had a wonderful spirit, uh, something we can all learn from. It was, it was great, though. The reason I mention this, and you're probably wondering, is because it's, I think, fairly relevant to the passage we'll be looking at in Matthew 5, 44 to 45. Uh, you can open up your Bibles. We're using the New American Standard Bible here. Could you read this with me, please? 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This passage is part of the greater Sermon on the Mount and even part of a greater section, about five verses, where Jesus starts saying, but I say to you. But we're just going to focus in on this these verses, but even more, most of the time, just on this one clause here that begins with four, that continues by saying, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because today's topic is unrecognized grace. Unrecognized grace. So I want to just go through this verse and explain a few items in here, and then kind of bring it together, helping us to understand what this unrecognized grace is, and that the more often that we begin to recognize it, it be God begins to empower and strengthen our lives through it. So first of all, notice that word for, because that's where we're going to start. You see, the word for talks about explanation. It, it, Jesus is beginning to explain why we should love our enemies, why we should love our enemies. And so he begins this clause here with the word for, because he's going to explain things. And so, you know, I was just wondering, why didn't Jesus just say, love your enemies, and just stop right there? Did he have to explain anything to us? No, of course he wouldn't need to explain to us. Should we love our enemies? Yes, we should love our enemies. But why does he go on and explain? I, I was just thinking about that. I said, one is to provide a deeper background and understanding of the whole concept of why we should love our enemies. But another one is to draw us closer. He wants to draw us closer. It's like trying to explain things to you so that you can cooperate him, not just because you ought to, but because you want to, because there's that sense of mutual understanding and that spirit of uh, cooperativity where we just work together. And the Lord really wants us to understand and grapple with his word so that we are not just like robots. He programs us, push a button, and he does it. And everybody's happy. But no, we're not like robots. We're instead people. He's given us wills. And so he passes this knowledge and understanding on to us so that we can understand him and say, in our hearts, deep in our hearts, yes, that's what he wants. That's what I want to do. So it becomes a deeper sense of motivation and drive in our lives when we're consciously looking at what he wants in our life. So God is working more deeply in our life. Now notice the second clause here. For he causes, he is God the Father, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. There is a sense that God is causing things to happen in this world. Now this is something that we perhaps would say, no problem, I understand that. But even though it, it's something that we understand, it's something that perhaps is not so easy for us to understand, uh, deep as we should understand it. Uh, think, for example, he causes two things to happen here, the sun to rise. In fact, he, he doesn't just say the, the sun. Did you notice how it says here? His sun. <laughs> now, he's not talking about his S-O-N, but his S-U-N. Now, how many times do you, when you read your science books, do you hear about God's son? You never hear it, do you? Yeah, so there's a sense of lack of 
bringing all that together. But God is trying, Jesus is trying to help us to link all this together, that there is a connection between God and His Son that He causes to rise every day. For how many years? Well, at least 6,000 years, you know, uh, times 365 and more counting. God has been faithful, causing that sun to rise, causing that rain to fall. And he's trying to develop deep within us a link, a connection that God is there and he brings these things about. Now, this is so important. But it's the actual message that we miss out in this world that Jesus is trying to bring us back to. In other words, we could love our enemies just because we ought to, but he's trying to tell us, there's a reason. I want you to get the connection here. The sun that rises every morning, God is doing it. Now, just think about it. Just step back. I know you're all sitting down, but sit back and think about it. When you saw the sun rise and you say, it's all beautiful, it's so nice. Do you you say that sometimes? You say, no, I never wake up that early. Well, maybe today you did. I don't know. Maybe there was a fog today. So when it came above the fog, a little later you actually saw the sun rise. You say, wow, that's beautiful. Oh, but did you see what you did? When you stop with saying it's beautiful, you didn't come back and make it connect to the link. God brought it up. Thank you. I have a, such a difficulty within me to make that link. I don't know about you. But I do. I know I should. I look at it and I say, oh, that's right. You're doing that. And, but it's, it's like I it just can't put those pieces together in me. Maybe because this, the degree of secularism in our society has so divorced these things. Nature does it. The sun does it. It exists. But they never connect it. And when we never connect it, Jesus is saying, that we're going to miss out the whole point. Because this is the whole point that Jesus has said, the Father caused His Son to rise and His reign to fall on us. And when we can begin to nat- more naturally connect these together, that we will begin to be more deeply motivated and touched by his love in our lives. Let me go on. That's God causality. Let's look at grace revealed. Here, when we're looking at this verse, we're talking about the good and the righteous. Okay? But we're also talking about the evil and the unrighteous. Two different groups of people. Okay, so we have God's grace, God's kindness... Do you agree it's coming on the good and righteous? That's what Jesus is saying. Well, we also have to agree it's coming upon the wicked and then the unrighteous. Is that true? Sure. And so what we find here is that, uh, and we'll discuss this a little bit more later, because it's kind of surprising what God's doing here. But this is where we need to learn from our God. But there's a sense of God bringing his favor upon everybody. Upon everybody. And this is what Jesus is saying. We're talking about grace in the sense of, in a general, very general way here, by the way, when we're talking about the Son, we're thinking about God causing things to happen in the world to bring benefit to us. So that grace is that favor, that kindness, something that we enjoy and delight in. That's the things that God is bringing to our lives. I I really loved uh, Pastor Hugo's definition that he used last week unearned, undeserved, absolutely necessary favor from God that can empower and motivate us to live a transformed life for God. Can you say that with me? 
unearned, undeserved, and absolutely necessary favor from God that can empower and motivate us to live a transformed life for God. That's a mouthful, but it's supposed to be, because grace is like that. It is abounding in us. It's that God causing that favor to come into our lives. Now, I want to step back as we look at each of the three elements. I want to kind of bring them together here. We will look at the word for a little bit later. But first of all, let's think about what he's doing in our own words. We know he causes the sun to rise. But what is he actually doing? He, God is exerting power in this universe on a regular basis to bring things to influence and bear upon our lives. Do you agree? That's his sovereign power. It is not just in a specific, you know, way, which he can do, but it, it is a general way. But he is connecting himself to this universe. Every day he makes sure that sun comes up. He's bringing that rain down, and later we'll look at other ways he's actually doing this. So this is one of the things he's doing. God is exercising his power. Now, when you think of his power, you think, oh, he's healed this person. We need to broaden our category here because... If our lives are dull as believers, it's because this truth here has not really infiltrated our minds and hearts. Because if anything, when you begin to realize God is bringing that sun up for us, then we step back and say, wow, he really does care for us. And that's the second thing, that God brings those favors and needs in our life, and he meets them. He cares about us. And so he brings... In this case, Jesus mentions two examples, the sun and the rain. I mentioned the rain earlier because a year earlier they didn't have that rain. And it's so easy to find. I, I discover it just for three weeks. If there's no rain, my garden just starts drying up. You know, you don't see the growth anymore. So unlike this last month where we saw lots of rain and lots of growth, there's such a difference. And we really are so need, needful for God's favor. Again, when a rain is abundant in our land, we're not thinking about it. We turn the water faucet on, we wash our cars anytime we want. But you go to different parts of the world, different parts of the, our own country, and you say, sorry, can't wash your car. No water, you know. Oh, or different parts of the country, you have water from 9 to 10. That's all today. Thank you. Electricity, maybe you have it from 4 to 5 today. That's all. Thank you. You see, things that we take for granted are never to be taken for granted because these are favor from God. Because he cares for us. Isn't that what he's trying to say here? That God cares for everyone, everywhere. Now, when we look at the categories, didn't we see this? The righteous, the unrighteous, the good, the evil. So God is bringing his favor upon everybody. Upon everybody. So we're saying, well, why? We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But I want to discuss a little bit more the two kinds of grace. Now, we've looked at these three items. God's that exerts his sovereign power to bring these things that we need to bless our lives into every one of our lives. Believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Righteous, unrighteous, it doesn't matter. Now, what are the two graces? The first is what we call common grace. This is what our message is about today, unrecognized grace. It's perhaps so common, we just assume it, and we don't take it. But notice that all things, A, B, C, are true. God, the sun, you know, it rises upon everybody. 
and he brings that favor into our life so rain can come down, plants can grow, we can drink, animals can grow, everything works out. And it's delivered to everybody, right to your doorstep every day. You know, the sun shines right in. And it's just so amazing. In fact, some houses, when you build your house, you build it in such a way you can get the wind, you can get the sun, you can... See, right? That's what they do. Because it's so guaranteed. So guaranteed. There is another kind of grace here. And this is God's special grace. And we'll, I'm sure, speak about that a little bit more. But it's noted for special grace in that it, it brings a certain kind of favor to a targeted group of recipients. Common grace delivered to everyone, everywhere. A special grace to some people, some places. All right? Specialized. And so uh, let me just give you an example of this, specialized grace. I'm not going to talk much about it because I want to talk about the common grace that's exercised to everywhere. This is just, I was reading from uh, the Word of God yesterday from Jeremiah 33, 14 to 15. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will bring a righteous branch to David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Now, this is God's special grace. Now, I want to remind you of the context here, because it's very important. This is at a time when Israel was about to be judged, sent away to another nation, be taken captive. Many of their people would be killed. But 70 years later, he says, you know, I'm going to bring you guys back. Later on, I'm going to bring something into your life, the branch of David, referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I'm going to do this, you see. This is special grace. Did he say that he'd do it? He didn't even do that with Samaria in the north. He did it with the house of Judah. Special grace targeted to a select group of people. But it's grace, nevertheless. You see, this grace is, is noted, both common grace and special grace, as always undeserving. So much understanding, misunderstanding comes about because we don't realize that. We always say that our rights of water, of sun or, you know, clean air. You know, that's the way we're thinking today, mentality, right? We deserve clean air. We deserve fresh water. I deserve it, and I'm going to fight if you don't give it to me. And we totally exclude who from the whole issue. God, right? But let's step back and think, no, that's not the whole picture. The whole picture is that all these things, like the sun, the rain, are things that are grace, favor, God has specially put into our lives to bring into our lives, to, to bless us, to help us, to get a by in our lives, to, to bring us closer to Him. And this is true with God's common grace and God's special grace. Now, if God decided to say, sorry, no more sun tomorrow, does He have a right to do that? Why? Just because it's a favor. Do we deserve it? No. Is it because we're good people? No. Is it because we're wicked people? No. It's because God said, I'll do it. And it's a benefit that he bestows upon us. Same thing with 
God's work and His grace, when He extends Himself to work in our life in a special way, by giving us spiritual gifts. Huh, yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm, you know. No, not at all. It's a favor that God bestows on us. And He says, actually, if you don't use it to glorify Him, He'll just take it away. Always undeserving. And so many misunderstandings come up because we think, God, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. Instead, we should humble ourselves. I am very greatly disturbed that our country has not humbled itself such with the oil spill. Have you ever heard one thing about God or prayer meetings? No. Uh, we want to blame either BP or the government. Now, I know they're purposely making a dialectic and making that opposition and pushing their ways through. But I don't care because God stands above all these issues. And when we begin to set, stand back as God's people, we begin to see how God works through all these matters. This is what's so important. So let's think a little bit more. He brings it upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And I just want you to bring through a uh, hopefully what I, I think is logical. Maybe to you it's not logical, but let me, to me it's logical. Okay, Jesus does mention the evil and the unrighteous. So it seems like this is a common grace to us, right, that God ought to bring into our lives. The, I mean, this is what God's done, and he treats us the same. But we don't feel comfortable with that. I mean, at first glance and say, yeah, that's right. But there's a problem because why is God treating the righteous and the unrighteous the same? Isn't there something wrong here? Would you say so? You don't say so. Okay. That's good, because that, that's what he's not saying. But the, at the first glance, I mean, you know, we're, we're responding back. And we're saying, oh, hold it. Hold it. Let's step back. But, you know, there, there's a problem here, because when you think God's people, or the righteous people, let's call them just righteous or good, people deserve more from God, they don't get it, right? No. They're getting the same favor from God as the wicked next to him. So I can go out and be the worst person abusing people, you know, smashing people's face in, and I can be that nice, kind person giving away my last penny to someone in need, and God's going to treat me us all the same. You happy with a God like that? <laughs> Yeah, there's that wrestling within, isn't there? And there should be, because this is what he's trying, Jesus is trying to get deeper with in, into our own lives, bringing that sense of commitment. But you know, the most significant thing is that nobody deserves any of this kind treatment. It is a favor that's bestowed upon us, because we as people have gone astray. From the very beginning, when God made that garden, there was only one command that Adam and Eve were to do. And they didn't do that. And God kicked them out of that garden. Now, he had a whole redemptive plan there in store. And we won't get into that. But the point is that if we talk about favor, and that someone does something nice and we want to reward them, we understand that. But the fact is, none of us have done what God really wanted. We're all those sheep that have gone astray. As it says in Romans 3, we have all sinned and perished. Each of us go our own way, insisting our ways is best. 
And we still insist somehow that God should treat us so nicely. Let's think about this. God wants, so why does he still do this? Even though we might misinterpret God in, 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 in great ways, I think it's because God wants his general love, his kind heart to be so displayed, revealed before us, that he's willing for us to make all sorts of misunderstand, uh, misunderstandings and uh, have us misunderstand him, perhaps, but he'll tolerate that just so he is able to communicate his general love to us. This is behind, I, I believe, really what's behind the scene here. God really wants us to know there's a whole realm of God's love that we never understand. And that if we really could step back and look at this common grace, anybody can just stand around and look at it. He says, we can systematically disperse our doubts by regularly observing God's common grace given to us. When we put that link together and see God's doing this spring in the sun, God doing this, then all of a sudden we begin to be very touched in our own lives. We have a lot of doubts in our life whether God really loves. We see this problem. I grew up in this kind of family. Did you know what I had to meet up with? Why is this world so bad? And so we begin to discolor our picture of God. But God is down below the surface has just given us this foundational perspective of himself that is so important. That from his favor we can respond back that God cares for us. And frankly, he has. For which of us can live without that sun and the rain? None of us can. Now, some of you might say, all right, well, how? I understand that, but what about God's judgment? Let me explain how this just quickly fits in here. See, God will judge. It is not that God doesn't have judgment, okay? And this is where some of the confusion is comes in, right? No, God will judge us, but his grace comes before the judgment. So he says he will judge because he's moral, he's just, he's the judge of the world. So he has to judge all wickedness. He did not deny there was not wicked. He said there was Jesus. Jesus said there was wicked and there's evil. So, I mean, it's not like the categories aren't there. But the point is, his grace comes before that judgment so that each of us can step back and say, God's love is that way. And so he's calling all of us to come to him and respond to him. Let me give you a diagram that uh, shows this. So God's judgment is on us because we're just sinners. We have gone our own way. He says this very clearly in the scriptures. And here are we down underneath. But God puts up a, a, a holding pattern here, okay? And let's consider that part of God's grace. He's holding it up. Meanwhile, he's calling his grace to come in, all right? So one hand, holding back his judgment. The other hand, bringing in God's kindness and favor into our lives. So the judgment will be there. But it's, but it's held off. God's grace. God's grace. And he's bringing it into all of our lives. And so do you see how God has gone to great lengths to bestow that goodness on us? And this is what, by the way, should touch our lives. And I'll just come to that in a moment. But let me just use a verse to, from 2 Peter 3.9 to kind of summarize this, this whole element about 
judgment, kindness. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you see? Not wishing for any to perish. In other words, hold it, that judgment's coming. It's not like there's no judgment. But the promises, the hopes are there, the, the grace is there. Hoping that we come to repentance in this time where His grace is being bestowed on us, that our hearts are touched, we respond to Him through Christ, and that we find salvation. So there's an element of not wishing any to perish, but this is a temporary holding period. It's not thing that's going to go on forever. Just because now you have God's grace, it doesn't mean we should say or misinterpret God's love in a way that God's judgment would never come. Let me just quickly go through some of these misinterpretations. Perhaps we would think that it's because God's being patient, judgment's put off forever. Well, we could just say that. Well, God hasn't judged, so well, he's just bringing the sun on us, bringing us rain. We can enjoy what he's given to us. That is not the full story. That's not the full story. Or another misinterpretation that we think there's no thing as God or judgment. Now, some have gone to that length. Why do I need God? I got my car, I got my food, I got my job, I'm all set. I got my iPad. That's all I need. And I'm on my way. So, God, His favor, there's just that disconnect. Or thirdly, that we keep putting off repentance with hope that God just overlook our sin. If He's overlooked it and brought grace into our life, doesn't mean He'll be like that forever. But that's a misinterpretation. For what God said, that that favor is not to see that it would be forever. It's a common grace that's given for a short, certain amount of time to everybody that we can be able to actually respond to Him in His kindness, to see that element of love. So God's common grace encourages us to come to Him, not to use Him, not to make excuses for our sin, but to come before Him and respond. And now this is what, let me do a little summary of the good works that I would like to uh, mention here. First of all, never begrudge or, or sense that I have to. You know, that kind of begrudge. Kind treatment to the wicked and not so wicked. I say wicked because sometimes those are the most extreme people. Maybe you don't meet those wicked people. But sometimes those not so kind people, you know, my boss or whoever it might be, <clears throat> my roommate. I hope could God ever put me together with his roommate. But isn't this one of the things that Jesus is saying? You love the wicked. Why? Because God shows his 24-7 constant love to them. Therefore, because you are his sons, you are to imitate your father in heaven. In the same way, you are to live out a life, that sense of commitment and devotion, as God has to all of us, we are to live that out to everyone. Now how? Now, so the, now notice that not just to do it, but to do it in an unbegrudging way where we are actually committed to loving those who don't like us. Loving more of those who don't like us than others even. Because it does take a greater commitment to do it. Your life will change when you realize the people that you don't like the most is the place that you can display the most glory of God in. Because you say, well, here I need God to be working. Don't begrudge it. 
It is your calling to reflect God's glory and the way He's doing it all the time now. And so are we. During this time of common grace, because I said it was temporary, not forever, right? it's urgent that we still preach the gospel because the social works is not enough. It's never meant to be enough. If it was, Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross. You see, there's two aspects of grace. We talked about common grace. The special grace is we're in a special way all wrapped up in Jesus. By the way, these other things are too, but in a different way. For example, Jesus says, all things consist in him. Okay? So, the Son and all nature is bound up in his word in himself. Okay? I don't have time to go into it, but even common grace is all wrapped up in Jesus. But even special grace in a more focused way because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because there's work in us now, we can say social works are not enough. And I can, I can see that all around. And I, I am horrified when there is just that sense of, oh, we'll just be kind, but hold back the gospel. Because you can see of a village that is perishing and people not willing to share the gospel with them. They have their horrible traditions. They are so upset in their traditions. They don't know how to get out of their traditions. I've met tribes like this. And I know hearing the gospel and say, why didn't you tell us earlier? That's really the story. Not that we're trying to protect their innocent village. No! The people are jumping down the well, killing themselves. Don't you really know the story behind the story of the village? Don't you know what the, the, the hatred in that family? Oh, it looks like a big, nice family. Hold it, it's not like that. We must not treat evil as good or good as evil. Evil is evil. We must hate evil. But be gracious during this time as our Father in Heaven is. It's kind to be kind to prisoners. We don't have to treat them the worst of worse. It's okay. Be kind. Give them humane treatment. Be kind to people. I think this is just a general application to how we should live in our life. And we need to better appreciate God's common grace. Now, what I want to do the rest of my time is just go through some examples of common grace. I have a few things up here uh, to show and tell here, okay? And we can all be like, uh, this is a hands-on class, maybe. I don't know. Because I want to, I, I, just, I just totally believe the more we can tune in with what God wants to do in our life, what He's doing, and the, ne the amount of favor that He's bestowing on us all the time, 24-7, every day, every hour, every moment, then we will all the more be moved in our hearts to respond to such a God and be able to reach out to more people that way. We hold back because we don't think God is so giving in His love. We don't see ourselves as that our inheritance, as our call, as our nature in Christ. Well, first of all, let me just give some examples. Consistency in physical properties of the earth. And I know I could ask probably 80% you know, of you, and you could talk more about this than I can. But just to illustrate, you know the consistency of, to say, the sun go, you know, moving about the earth, uh, revolving, the uh, consistency of what's happening and the, the every chemi chemical and the atom. and All these things are so consistent so we can plan on them. What if they changed every six months? There would be no such thing as science as we know it. 
You see, the consistency by which God has brought about this earth has enabled us to respond in such a way that we can get to know Him and to live in response of gaining from these very things that He has brought upon the earth. This is all His favor. All His favor that we should really respond to. What if the sun came up today, but maybe came up only three hours the next day? But you know, these things are so consistent. Do you know when we set back the stars... We can actually go back to Jesus' time. Let's see, is there an earthquake back then? Go back 2000 B.C. Uh, let's see, what happened in the stars? Where were they located? Do you know the regularity of everything? It helps us so much. We could never plan ahead or send things in space if there wasn't that regularity. D digging deep into the earth, um, all the metals that we use, isn't it fabulous, all the different kinds of metals? Now we say, well, I don't know how they made them. We still haven't learned. We're still trying to figure out how can we make gold, you know? Everyone want to be the first to discover how to make gold. They say, don't invest in gold because they're soon going to discover how to make it. Then it won't be of any value anymore. I don't know if that's true or not. But think about oil, that, you know, black gold. That's a big topic today. We should be so appreciative. God, during the judgment of the flood, he threw all the trees under tremendous pressure under the ground, under, under the water. He put all that pressure on it so it instantly became all that oil, those natural gas reserves. Now, this is in his judgment, okay? He preserves and creates all these storage places for us when there would be four seasons so we can enjoy the, what comes from these oils to have heat and uh, other sorts of favor. So you can see God's judgment and yet you can see God's favor. And again... We might make mistakes, but can we step back and say, thank you, Lord, for putting that oil there, for caring for us and providing for us. The ability to replicate. Uh, there's two things. I mean, you know, see what this picture is? What's that? Eiffel Tower. There's an architect, uh, Mr. Eiffel. Okay. You know where he got his dream from this? You know how it supports all that heavy iron weight? Oh, here's another picture. I'm sure some of the medical people will say, I know what that is. I, I wouldn't figure out what it is. What is this one? So the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the hip bone there. And it's basically, it's talking about the design of the ball and, and the socket there and how, it, and how it's designed through all those tiny uh, uh, fibers going every different direction. It supports a huge amount of tension. So it can support our weight and all the things that we do on this joint. He built the Eiffel Tower out of this idea. The sense of replication. God enables us to see things on earth to be able to enjoy them. I, I still think we're trying to enjoy this one. This is a, one of the light flowers. I don't know if he's still living. I hope he is. There he is. He's, uh, he's up on top there. I said we can let him go after we get back. But, uh, you know, a light, a lightning fly, you know, oh, wow, how can it make light out of, where does it get that light? And wouldn't it make, be neat to just, you know, we, we get to learn things. I was studying a, a little bit about Velcro, you know, came from a study of Burr, uh, a guy back in the 1900s. You know, I'm going to make some money here. And he finally figured out how to, you make the hook and, and, and the loop and just copy nature. You know, our tractors, the best we have is all replication of what God has. And it's because he's enabled us to observe it and then duplicate it. And the more we can replicate what he's done, the better our lives are. You get that? 
So instead of saying, I invented this, we should really be humble. Why, God, you enabled us to see this pattern on earth so that we can replicate it for your glory. Got to bring it into our souls. This is my suggestion. One of you start up a blog or some type of website. Every day we start learning, you know, one a day, one of these things. We, we learn about how God's common grace touches our life, that our hearts can be all the more melted down under his great intense love. Nutrition. Well, uh, this week I, I read, it was, it was kind of funny, but a, a Harvard study on brown rice, that it's good for those who... It helps prevent diabetes. Now, we already knew that. I, I don't know why they did another study on it. But uh, I've been eating brown rice because I read it in a book a long time ago. You know, it's, it's the, the fiber. I mean, why are you going to take off the, the outside part that is the fiber that helps protect all the starch that surges into your system with white rice? Why? When altogether, it helps prevent diabetes. But by the way, it's not just rice, of course, um, but other things that we eat, like bread and things like that. We take all the good stuff off. Uh, protection. Uh, just think of the kernel on the outside of a grain. You know, what we do with wheat germ, it has to be refrigerated. Why? Well, that's from inside the kernel of the wheat grain because it's protected on the well, outside. It can last for a whole long time and never go bad as long as you keep the outside of the wheat kernel intact. But once you open it up, then the wheat germ inside it, which you know has a lot of good enzymes and things, it is exposed and can within 24 hours can you know can start it starts de decaying and can make you sick. So uh, I, I, I'm not saying within 24 hours you become sick from wheat germ, but I, I, I'm saying it does need to be refrigerated because that's the element. I'm trying to think how you're thinking about what I'm saying here. Um, and just another one because today is Father's Day. Do you know where do we get this whole idea of families and fathers and husbands and wives? Uh, why would you? Put your arm around her anyways. Soon you'll be wife. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's a whole, the whole element of husband. This whole sense of system is something God embedded in our world. The sense of wanting to be together to protect the infants, the children growing up, that they would be with us for 16, 18, 20 years under our tutorship, that we could guide them, build them up, pass on our knowledge, so unlike every other creature that there is. This is all something God's embedded within us. You ask, where is the wedding, where marriage came from? You have to go back to Genesis. I did it, God says. It's part of God's common grace that he instills within us to protect our society. Because any society that rejects marriage, families, we, it begins to de deteriorate, as we've seen in past uh, cultures, and we begin to see in our own culture. Very, very obvious. So God's grace is just seen in ways that go far beyond the sun and rain. Our hearts are to be so deeply impacted by God's measures of grace, which are waiting for you and me to be discovered, that our hearts can be touched. You see, God's common grace calls us to come to him. He wants us to put away all our doubts about his love and come wholeheartedly. Let me give you a picture, the story of my dad. My dad was uh, recently talking to me on the phone. He's, he liked to sit out in his yard just enjoying the day. And, and uh, he said, you know, something came, his hand was dangling over the side, and something came up to his hand. And he said, oh, it's a raccoon. He really liked it, by the way. You, you might panic, but he, that's, this was his dream come true. He, he loves animals. He puts things out. He wants the birds to come. He wants the raccoons to come. He wants that. He likes it. Why is he putting all these things out, these treats? 
wants them to come. What is God? Why is he putting out all these treats? He wants you to come to him, to trust him. You know, it takes a little trust, because what if I go there and then you get slapped? Oh, i got to be careful. You know, you can just think of those animals, right? They are trying to measure how far I can go, and there's a little movement, the squirrel runs away. We're just like that. Our trust is so easily upsettable uh, because it's not mature. But if every day we began to understand his common grace, we would just ever come closer. I mean, of course, if we reject his grace, we would get dull in this high-tech world. We would just get engaged uh, and enchanted by all these high-tech equipment. Got to have the newest thing. Why instead not say, I like this gadget that doesn't ever love me. I love God who gives me all these things that I enjoy every day. And I am ignorant to most of them. Would you agree? You never connected science with all the things you learn in your biological book with reality. The physics without reality. And put that link together. We become so dull. And so why do I even need to worship God? Nothing special about Him. That's because you never put the two together. So the power of God's common grace is seek to unfold, and my challenge for you, one mystery of God's common grace each day. Secondly, consistently treat people nicely, even the mean, stubborn people, whether they be your parent, your child, your colleague, whoever it might be. Love them. Love them more just because God told you to, because he has called us to share in that constant 24-7 love to people that are even mean to us. Draw closer to God. That's God's whole point. And delight in being more like God through imitating His ways. Learn from Him, not only about Velcro, just so you can make money, not so you can have a better life. Connect the two. And you'll find that God's love is ever so much greater than you ever dreamed of. This becomes all the backdrop, all this common grace is the backdrop for the real thing. I was just thinking as we were singing these songs, you know, the stars, the earth, everything is a backdrop. It's the stage. It's like when you see some play, you see everybody dressed up and all the background is the scenery is so nice. It's everything's the equipment, the early music is coming on. You know it's going to be special. This is all the backdrop for the real thing that's going to happen. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that in future days. But it's the grace, it's the backdrop of His grace. And even that is enough to touch our hearts, to call us to repentance. Why did I ever not love Him? Or why is my heart so dull to Him? And begin to get back in touch with Him through your days. Let's pray. Lord, Your grace is amazing and wonderful. We thank You for bestowing this common grace, this unrecognized grace to us 24-7, every hour, every moment providing for us, nurturing us, caring for us, giving us ability that we can see in color. Oh, Lord, the number of things that you have done for us go without limit, not because we're good, just because we're here. We pray that you might help us, Lord, to be more like your sons and reflect your character of loving those who are not very lovely. Help us now, Lord, we pray. And give us grace that we could love you more. In Christ we pray. Amen. This concludes our message on common grace from Matthew 5, 44 to 45 by 
Paul Bucknell, produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net, releasing God's truth to a new generation.